later. Phew. Okay, we're going to read the Word of God from 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 23, and then reading on into chapter 4, uh, verse 3. <clears throat> this is the Word of the Lord, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Amen. So reads the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be merciful to us in the hearing of the word of God and grant to us the grace that we need to receive it carefully, that our hearts shall be tender and teachable, that our minds shall submit to your will and that our will shall be conformed to your will. And we pray this grace to be upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we pray. Amen. In this passage, John has taught us that the Holy Spirit is present in every Christian. We might become dizzy when we think about that, because that seems to give to each one of us a certain sense of power, a certain sense of authority. You have the Holy Spirit. He is the gift to every Christian. So what shall we do if we feel dizzy? We have the Spirit. I was reminded of something that happened to Charles Spurgeon. One day at the end of his church service, a man met Mr. Spurgeon at the door on his way out. Spurgeon, of course, is the great preacher in the Victorian era in London. And the man said to Spurgeon at the door, the man said, the Holy Spirit has told me that I am to preach here next Sunday. Now, how would you react to that statement? Because that's not easy. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Is this what we expect the Holy Spirit to do? How would you react to that? Would you have said, oh, uh, okay, hmm, well, please let Peter know your hymns 
for the bulletin to be printed in the bulletin by Thursday, please, since the Holy Spirit has told you that you're to preach. After all, the Spirit told him. Spurgeon simply replied to the man, well, brother, the Holy Spirit did not tell me. <laughs> Spurgeon was a quick-witted man and quite witty in his responses often. But that answer, the Holy Spirit has not told me, is far more biblical than we think. Because if we think the Holy Spirit has been given to each one of us, we must remember that the Holy Spirit has also been given to the church and to the whole church. Since there is a, a certain authority in saying that the Holy Spirit directed me to say something or the Holy Spirit directed me to do something, we need to know, we need to learn how are we to discern if this is the Holy Spirit that is actually speaking? How are we to discern if this is actually from God or if it is rather what John goes on to say in this passage, the spirit of error or far more deeply distressing, the spirit of the Antichrist which he says you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. These are important questions. Do we have truth? And how do we know that we have truth? And if someone arrives saying, I have truth, how are we to discern that? What are the tests that God has given to us? These are good questions. They are hard questions. They are important questions. And I want to draw three points from this text. First John chapter one, first John chapter four, verses one to three. The first point is this. There are spiritual dangers all around us, and there are spiritual dangers all around our children. Perhaps you're more conscious of the dangers that are around your children than the dangers that are around you. But we all live in this same time and in this same place. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or what he says in verse 3, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already present. Or a few verses later in 1 John 4 and verse 5, he says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Do you hear that? Are you listening to what God is saying to you in his word? The first thing that you have to grasp is that there is a warning. There are spiritual dangers to you and to your children. It's a warning. 
do not believe every spirit. Do not be gullible. Do not believe that everyone who claims to speak for God actually does speak for God. Now, when you realize the multiple ways in which people reach us, it's not just a pulpit thing, but it's a, an internet thing and a YouTube thing and a, a messaging thing, that there are all kinds of ways in which people claim to speak for God. Do not believe it, that everyone who claims to speak for God actually speaks for him. This is as relevant to us as it was in the days of the apostles. When John is writing to his fellow believers, whom he loves dearly, beloved he calls them, see his affection, this is just as relevant to this beloved congregation of God's people as it was to that beloved congregation of God's people. Let me give you an illustration. If you've read Rosaria Butterfield's new latest book, you'll see her reflect on five lies that she suggests are commonly believed by many Christians. This is where the arguments are happening. How are we going to test the spirits? Here are the five lies that she suggests in her book. Lie number one, homosexuality is normal. Lie number two, being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Lie number three, feminism is good for the world and for the church. Lie number four, transgenderism is normal. Lie number five, modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. Now, is Rosaria Butterfield speaking for God, and all of these are lies, or are the people whose views she is critiquing, many of them Christians, are they speaking for God? How are you going to discern? I ask the question at this point in order simply to make the first point that I'm trying to make. I ask the question because if these are the lies that are swirling, then there are dangers all around us. There are dangers in the church too. There are dangers that we face. There are dangers that our children face. The first point is that not everyone who claims to speak for God actually does speak for him. Now you need to go and read Rosaria Butterfield's book for yourself and weigh it up with the scriptures. But I'll come back to that in just a moment. I'm making the point. There are spiritual dangers. Which leads us then, I think, to a second point. 
You must test the spirits to see if they are of God. At first, and in fact in what I've written down, I said we must test the spirits. But as I'm standing here, I think it's better to say you must test the spirits. Because it's important for us to wrestle with what the Word of God is saying here. If I ask the simple question, who is to test the spirits? How do you answer that question? Who is to test the spirits? Is your first response this? You are pastor. Thank you. You are to do this, pastor, because you are one of our shepherds. God has charged you to watch over the flock. Or maybe you will expand it a little bit and you will say, the elders are to do this. This is their responsibility. The elders are to watch and test the spirits because they're to guard the flock. Or you might even more in your Presbyterianism, you might say, the presbytery is to do this. If, if you're saying that, I'm deeply impressed with your level of Presbyterianism. Or you might say that it's some council of the church somewhere. And there's some truth in this. There's some truth in you saying, you're to do it, pastor. You are to do it, elders. You are to do this, presbyters. You are charged in the sight of God to protect the church. Here is Paul reflecting on this matter with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You're right. Elders, presbyters, are to watch over the flock. There are dangers that a flock faces. But if we go back to 1 John chapter 4, who is John addressing? It's not simply the elders. It's not simply the leaders of the church. He addresses everyone. And you know that because he says, Beloved. And it's his title that he's been using affectionately all the way through his letter to let them know that he's addressing everyone in that congregation. Beloved means the whole congregation. Young people and older, older people. 90's not old, is it? No, I, no, just older. I, thank you, Chuck. Young people and older people. Mature Christians and immature Christians. We're all called. We're all addressed here in this. Who is to test the spirits? You are. Each one of you. You're called, each one of you, to test the spirits. It is part of your great liberty. It is also part 
of your great responsibility. Liberty does that. Liberty gives you responsibility. And it's part of what God has given to you. We need to have, as you'll see shortly, we need to have our Bibles in our hand, and we need to have the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, and the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. The church, church leaders are to teach, but each one of us must deal directly with God. For there are matters that churches are held to account for, but you also have been given a conscience, and you are to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Now let's just pause there. Because such an idea might sound to you as though it sets up a tension in the church. We could put it this way. I recently was talking to someone who put it this way. One man and his Bible may insist that all the church is wrong. Hmm. Anarchy. Arguments abounding. You can understand that. Do you remember the, I don't know if I've shared this with you, the funny story of a man, in the versions of this story I've heard, he was a Scotsman, but I think that's ethnically prejudiced. Um, he was shipwrecked on a desert island, spent many years alone on that deserted desert island, and eventually he was rescued. And as he's sailing away from the island, the rescuers ask him, well, what is that building there? Oh, that's my church. And then as they go further along, they ask him, well, well, what's that building? Oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> one man and his Bible, yes, could lead to one-person churches. <laughs> Sometimes it descends to that, doesn't it? There is a tendency for us to misuse our liberty in a sinful way. But it is you that have received the Holy Spirit. And you are being told to test the spirits. Now, we're always in danger of becoming overconfident in our own views. And we're always in danger of arrogant arguing with one another until we find ourselves happily in a church of one. But there is also a time to stand for truth. And there are times when that may mean that you stand alone against all the world. When the great Athanasius was wrestling with the doctrine of the Trinity in conflict with Arius and those who followed Arius and their other views. Arius believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was less than the Father, that there was a point at time in which he began, that he wasn't eternal. And so there's this great controversy that goes on in the church, and Athanasius stands up in order to proclaim what he believes the Scripture teaches. 
And the church agrees that that is what is taught. But it's become common to speak of Athanasius as he stood as a great defender of that Trinitarian doctrine. It has become common to say Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the world. Was he right? The church agreed that he was right, but he still had to stand up. Or is it not something similar to what happened to Martin Luther? One man and his Bible? Yes, I, I think it is something similar to that. Martin Luther, as he's, as he's contesting against the, the doctrines of the church at that time in 1521, he stands up, this is his famous, here I stand, I can do no other speech, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils because they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So help me God. Amen, he said. This is great. Here I stand. I can do no other speech. You are called upon to test the spirits. Will I find myself in a lonely place? You might. I pray you don't. But you might. I'm not sure that there's many of Athanasius standing among us. <laughs> or that there are many Martin Luthers among us. But we have our Bibles. And we have the command. Do you see the points? Don't believe every spirit. Secondly, test the spirits to see if they are from God. Which leads us thirdly then to what is the test? How are we going to know the truth? So that it's not just an every man in his Bible arguing with his shadow. 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It looks so simple. It seems as though the only thing that someone has to say is that at a certain point in time, Jesus took flesh to himself and appeared here in the world, as though the action of the incarnation is all that's being addressed. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So if someone says, oh yes, I believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh, oh, you must be from God then. I'll believe everything you say. Really, is it, th is it that simple? I don't think so. I think it means a little more. Listen to how Jesus uses the exact same phrase to describe his ministry. Jesus' sense of what he has been sent to do. So, for example, John chapter 5, verse 42 and 43. But I know 
And he's arguing with the Pharisees. I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name. Right? The confession is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And here he is saying, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. All right, do you see what's being said? Christ coming in the flesh is part of coming in his Father's name. That's how Jesus understands it. There's something now about the work of God the Father as it's related to God the Son that's caught up in this confession. Here's another verse, John chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him do you not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Oh, that's deep. That the, that the Son knows the Father. That the Father sends the Son. That the Son comes from the Father. This is what's entailed in confessing that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. That this is to do with God the Father as well as God the Son. That this has to do with the mission that God the Father gave to God the Son. That this has to do with the mission that God the Son gladly takes up to do for God the Father. Oh, it's quite deep, isn't it? Well, here's Jesus again speaking about I have come. John 8, 42 and 43. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now here he is again. He's talking in those same terms about coming from the Father. <clears throat> he's come, of course, in the flesh, but this coming into the world of the Lord Jesus Christ, in one sense, he says, is not of his own accord. This mission is given by God. His coming is a God-ordained thing. A God-planned thing. But people don't want to hear him, don't want to listen to what it is that Jesus is saying, nor do they love him, nor do they love God the Father. Wow, there's quite a lot caught up in coming in the flesh. Or here's another one, John chapter 12, 44 to 46. Jesus cried out and he said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The light has come. 
Don't stay in the darkness. The light shines in the face of Jesus Christ. What light is it? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, it's the light of the glory of God. That's what shines in the face of Jesus. So to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, if we're taking Christ's own words, a confession that we see the glory of God in Jesus. Or here's another one, John 16, verse 28. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. All right, he's starting to get the pattern. The Father and the Son, and the Father sending the Son, and the plan of salvation, and the Son willingly doing it, and people rejecting that whole plan of salvation, and not receiving his word, and not loving him, and therefore not loving God. It's big. Well, here's another one. John 18, verse 37, then Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born, and here's our words, for this purpose, I have come into the world. What purpose? What purpose, Jesus? For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The truth? Who can know the truth? Pilate says, what is truth? And then he tries to wash his hands of the whole thing. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are there lies swirling all around us about what is humanity about what is human life, about what is the image of God? Are there lies swirling all around us as to what is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? What is sexuality? Are there lies swirling all around us? Jesus said, for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So if we go back to 1 John 4, it's no bare confession that Jesus simply appeared in our world at a certain point in time. As though the incarnation is all there is to God's rescue plan. There are a lot of Christians who believe that. Rather, to say that Jesus Christ has come into the world is to come face to face with the fullness of the depths of the majesty of God. It is a statement that is full of the person and work of God the Father. It is a statement that is full of the person and work of God the Son. It is a statement that takes us face to face with the mystery of the eternal being of God, that, he, that, that there is one God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that he is one and yet three And that is part of the confession, the eternal being of God. Jesus came into the world as a confession that leads us to a doctrine of God the Father and a doctrine of God the Son and ultimately to a doctrine of God the Holy Spirit. 
And it leads us further. The Father sends the Son. It's the plan and the purpose of God the Father to send his only begotten Son as our Savior. And it leads us to understand the Son who gladly accepts this. He's willing to do this. He loves us. This is part of the confession that separates truth from error. The whole of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. This is God's plan to save sinners. And so before Pilate, we hear Jesus saying, for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is a confession that we believe that this is our great God. And this is a confession that we believe that this is the gospel and the good news. This plan of salvation that called for Jesus to die on a cross in the place of sinners. And that it has actually been carried out. It's done. It's no bare little saying of a few words. It's deep. Deep to the depth of God's being and deep to the depth of our own being. Deep to the heart of truth. Is there no such thing as truth anymore? Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. To confess that he's come in the flesh is to confess that you believe the truth as it is in Christ. Um, Listen to John chapter 16, verses 12 and following. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's where we are. In this passage in 1 John chapter 4, in discerning the truth, there are spiritual dangers that face you and your children. You are not to believe them, but you are to test the spirits. How are you to test the spirits? By bringing everything to bear to this glorious gospel and to this truth. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He'll never do that. He always draws attention to Jesus. He'll tell you what he heard from the Father and what he heard from the Son, and he'll tell you all that you need to know about the Son, and he'll tell you what the Son says about the Father, and he'll glorify Jesus, and he'll glorify everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not set up himself. The Holy Spirit does not set up another whole new reality for you to have authority. He pulls you into the truth. He pulls you into the reality of the authority of the exalted Christ. 
So you might have got a little dizzy at the start thinking, I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, but now do you see what the Holy Spirit will do to you? He'll glorify Christ. He'll exalt Christ. He'll tell you what God the Father says. He'll tell you what God the Son says. He's just going to keep bringing you back over and over and over again to the gospel. It's given to us in these scriptures. It's really part of the larger argument that John is making in 1 John. And that's partly why I read the, first few, the, first, uh, the last few verses from John, 1 John 3. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another, just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. By this we know he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. The larger context of 1 John is saying in terms of Christian living, it's saying, look, Christians are people who obey God's commands. Then it's saying, look, Christians are people who love each other as Christ has commanded them. And then it's saying, look, Christians are people who confess this great God and this great gospel because that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. How selfish we are in the things that we often say the Spirit told me to say. <laughs> how self-centered we are, how small we are. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. With your Bible in your hand, I urge you then to keep clinging to Jesus. To Jesus. Incarnate. Still incarnate. But crucified. Dead. Buried. Risen. Ascended. Exalted. And he shall return. There's more to learn on these principles given to us here. But is not this enough? Do we know him as we should? Let's pray for his grace. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we beseech you to have mercy upon us that we shall not be gullible and easily led astray by false spirits or the spirit of Antichrist, which is already present. But that you will grant us this grace to cling to Jesus Christ. Oh, have mercy upon us, because we ask it in our Savior's name. Amen.